Welcome to U.S. Phenomenon, where possibilities are endless. Put down those same old headlines. It's time to expand your mind and question what if. From paranormal activity to UFOs, Bigfoot sightings, and unsolved mysteries, this is U.S. Phenomenon. From the Pacific Northwest in the shadow of the 1962 World's Fair, the Space Needle. Good evening, I'm your host, Mario Magana. This is U.S. Phenomenon. You can be a part of the show by texting our studio hotline, 775-990-5151. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast for exclusive content that you don't get on the radio experience. Plus, you can watch U.S. Phenomenon on our stream. Just go to our website, onairmario.com, to subscribe to our podcast or subscribe to our TV stream. Let's check in with Mark Christopher for our Sasquatch report. What's going on, Mark? Relatively quiet for sightings, though we're hearing of one happening in, in Skamania County. I'm still trying to get permission to release the story. Till then, though, there's a, a lot of folks hearing about some strange sounds coming from Tennessee. Now, before I play those sounds, a lot of times it's mistaken that a call of Bigfoot is actually a coyote. Here is a coyote. play for you here in the last three weeks and this was posted on much of social media apparently this is from tennessee and uh, a bigfoot calling is somebody who was in it looks like some kind of a, a rural shelter and they came out on the deck and they heard this Latest on Bigfoot sightings and recorded sounds, Mark Christopher for U.S. Phenomenon. Thank you, Mark. If you have a story or something that you would like to share with us, maybe it's some sounds that you heard in the woods or something, send it our way. You can send it to me at mario at onairmario.com. Tonight, our guest is a former di- is a director in f- for security training for Fortune 300 companies, Catherine Schweit is a former FBI special agent and former head of the FBI active shooter program, also an author of Stop the Killing and How to End the Mass Shooting Crisis. It is my pleasure to welcome to U.S. Phenomenon, Catherine Schweit. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. I'm very pleased to be here. I'm excited. I love, I'm, I'm hoping to be in Seattle shortly. So You know, you got to come up and, you know, if you do, please let me know. We'll, I'll send us some recommendations your, your direction count on it okay so in the headline news i mean really it's so so interesting i don't want to say normal now it's like we see it all the time it happens all the time and there was an active shooter here there was an active shooter there why what why is this is it really the fame that these individuals are looking for what what is it as what is it? What? Why? <laughs> what is it? That's the most common question that I get, Mario. What? What and why? What and why? And I mean, the the why really, what really is part of the reason you have to know what in order to get to why, because we see all this news coverage about all of these shootings, 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 but they're really different situations, right? I mean, it's kind of like one's a Buick, one's a Ford, one's a Chevy. Right. So they're, they're different situations that a lot of the killings that go on in the United States that are firearms related, more than half of them, um, nearly two out of three are suicides. So most of the firearms injuries 
more than half of them, right, are suicides. And then there's a certain number of them that are, um, that are homicides. And the homicides, the bulk of them are these individuals and gangs and drugs and domestic violence. And then a teeny tiny number of ones that get all the press coverage are what we consider active shooters or some people you can also define some in some ways you can define a lot of them as mass shootings there's no legal definition for mass shooting but a lot of um, different organizations in in uh, both government and in private industry particularly the media quantify the shootings um, and say oh if there's three or more people killed that's a mass shooting or if there's four or more people that's a mass shooting uh, the FBI says if it's it's an active shooter, as long as somebody's moving, as long as somebody is actively engaged in trying to kill people, they don't care how many people you actually kill, uh, because that's to me as a law former law enforcement officer, that's just a question of how good of a shot you are. So I'm not going to limit my number count based on whether two died or three died. Oh, I mean, it's unfortunate that anyone has to die. In, in, in these right. circumstances, and I, and we'll talk about someone who worked for a television station back in the uh, as a, a broadcast engineer. You know, the story always goes: if it bleeds, it leads. And right. it's unfortunate that it has. I mean, the tip of the iceberg. Going back to even like, I guess dating myself, like I, there was never this situation in when I was going through high school. And I, I mean, okay, so I graduated in '97. Okay. So, well, they, you know what, I'll tell you that Mario, they do, uh, these kinds of shootings really, you know, they, they do go back um, in the, in the United States to go back. We, we saw some in the sixties and the seventies and the eighties and some in, you know, Columbine was 1989. Right. And by then it was kind of established that boy, these law enforcement had to respond faster to get to these shooters. That was one of the biggest lessons about Columbine and some of the other shootings that you're a West Coaster. Uh, there was a shooting in the 70s and at a San Ysidro, um, California, in, uh, down near the Mexico border. A terrible shooting at a McDonald's down there where law enforcement didn't respond as fast as now they would. But you're not wrong to think that the numbers are increasing because two years ago, Three years ago, the FBI counted 30 of these types of shootings a year that were the kind of shootings that you think of as Columbine or Sandy Hook. And then the next year, it was 40. And the year after that, which was just 2021, there were 61 incidents using the same criteria. So the number of them are absolutely increasing. And and the the why, which is really what you asked me and how, you know, that's the big right. that's $64,000 question of why, you know, there's lots of reasons and we're still kind of plowing through what those are. But, you know, I honestly, I, I'm, I assure your listeners we're in a better spot than we were before, even though it doesn't seem like it because the numbers are going up. It's like I'm selling you, you know, I'm selling you soap water or something, but I, I promise it's, it's getting better. But the media plays a role. I'm happy to talk to you about that. Yeah. And, and, and something that I, um, Let's go back to, let's just talk about the 80s. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, you know, video games, things of that nature, uh, not as real as they are now. Would we think of like a James Bond or some of these, you know, uh, I, can't, I mean, this is how dated I am that I don't even play video games or I was even allowed to own a, have a toy gun in the house. It was not something right. that was, and that was just the way I was brought up. And even for Christmas uh, this year, my, my nephew gave me a toy gun. I was like, I can't have a toy gun. Dad said I couldn't yeah. have a gun as a kid. 
And that right. still, you know, plays to the... Does that factor into this case where we're talking about video games that have like an active shooter, like a James Bond or, sure. you know, you know well, there's Grand good, Theft Auto? I think that there are more things, there are things that are more impactful. There's a ton of research that's been, that's gone on for a long time that talks about is uh, our video games uh, things that make people more violent? Is it something that creates violence or encourages somebody to be more violent? And and all the research says no. I mean, the United States has actually, at the last study I saw, uh, 48% of the video game players were women. Of these types of shootings that we fear the most in the schools, in the malls, in the churches, in the libraries, and in, in out in public parks, uh, almost exclusively men 99 of the 61 from 2021 90 uh, 60 of them were men one was a female so it's a man's it's a man's game in terms of going out and shooting publicly that's what we saw this week in california when i was out in california i just flew home and um had been out both in in the, in the monterey bay uh, monterey park area and alhambra and in um in the uh in the uh i think twice uh i'll figure it out you know where the other shooting was i'll right. think of it i'll think of it in just a minute it's been so there have been so many shootings i can't keep them all straight all the time but those the video games there isn't really evidence and there's in fact a lot of research that shows not video games that's not a precursor that's not a predictive value just like mental health issues are not a predictive value it may seem like it but they're not and because, you know, like, oh, you know, play, like I said, you know, playing duck hunt of the, the back in those days or whatever. And it's like yeah. the same thing. My dad was like, no, you cannot have duck hunt. I was like, well, I want to play that game because that was just the way we grew up. Not mm -hmm. having that piece introduced into our into our daily routine, I guess. I think that's typical, though. I think there were a lot of kids uh, who were raised. I raised two uh, girls and, you know, I didn't want them to have uh toy guns and run around and play cops and robbers. But you know what? When I was a kid, uh, we did. Yeah. We played cops and robbers and we played with little green army men, you know, from the grocery store that mom and dad brought home. And we played battleship and, uh, you know, Stratego and all those games that are essentially war games that uh, our parents uh, invented after they all came home from World War II. <laughs> right. I mean, it, I mean, you played cops and robbers or even the superhero piece where someone was the right. bad guy. And mm -hmm. I think that as when I, when I look at all these, I think we all look at them and we're like, okay, does, does owning a gun play into a fact where, you know, if they were to remove guns and say, you know what, guns are no longer right. going to be a part of the United States, you can no longer mm -hmm. own a firearm. How do you see that playing into our future? Would we have, yeah, would we have less uh, shootings, a, a really small number of shootings in the United States? Absolutely, we would. We know that because in, from the international, like Adam Langford's research internationally, we know that in locations where there are, it's very difficult to get a gun, or to have a gun. It isn't that they don't have guns, but it's just, it's a different system. A lot of countries that have limited the number of guns that they have, um, they also tightly control who gets them by making you fill out a form or making you be interviewed and evaluating that every once in a while and um, maybe every few years, talking to your neighbors maybe or your family. Mm -hmm. If you have a problem domestically or at school or something, a weapon might uh, be taken out of the house. Different different uh, different um, 
countries have done that. And certainly, if we didn't have the volume of guns here, we wouldn't have the volume of shootings we have here. But I will say, as a person who who teaches a class on the Second Amendment for DePaul University's law school, uh, they, you know, we have them, that we have them, and uh, we have more guns in, in the United States than we have people. Um, so if there's 320 million-ish people in the United States and an estimated 400 million-ish guns, estimates only because there, there is no uh, registration, there's no way to keep track of them. Most of the many guns, even the homemade and handmade guns, there's no way to actually even identify that they exist. It's interesting because I don't want to say that owning a gun is sexy because, you know, some people own them, some don't. Um, sure. And to, to have that right to you know, carry, or even during the pandemic, watching, uh, going to Chipotle, the, the, going mm-hmm. to a, you know, fast food, casual ca- fast food, whatever you want to call that, going into the restaurant in the guy, you know, not wearing a mask, fine. This is, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, but he was open carrying in the state of Washington, right. you're allowed to open carry. Now, right. what, was it a little excessive for some, for a burrito? Heck yeah. A little, <laughs> little over the top for a burrito. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, but you know, that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? Like every, um, you know, every community, uh, there's, there's fantastic arguments on both sides. I know people who are adamant about, uh, they want to just get all the guns in the United States gone and melted down. And then I know people who are like, there aren't enough guns in the United States if we had more guns. And if we were allowed to carry more openly in more places, we would never have any firearms violence. And, you know, I I don't think either of those are practical. And I certainly don't think the latter is sensible. Um, If we if a lot more guns were going to make us a lot safer, we'd be the safest country in the world. And, and when you talk about that, because I like I was going through my head of one of the active shooters that I think that most stuck with me was the grocery store incident. And I don't remember sometime a year last year, sometime mm-hmm. super. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I was blown away. I was like in shock, like like stone cold, like blown away by just. Yeah. What sh- is it that what is it that shocked you about? that okay that would be interesting for me to hear i mean a grocery store you know yeah you know why what the so purpose it, of, what the purpose of going in there and extinguishing lives at a grocery store like right i i, I find i'm like to me now it's like and we, we'll talk about this on the second half i have a plan every time i go somewhere Where's my exit strategy? Where am I going? Have the plan. That's good. I like to hear that. I mean, everyone should, regardless if you you carry a gun or you don't. What is your? How are you getting out of a situation? We're talking grocery store now. I gotta have a plan to get out, and I gotta hide behind the produce section. Well, let me just tell you one thing. When the FBI, when we initially started after Sandy Hook, when I started the FBI's active shooter program. We didn't really know what we would find. And I worked with a tremendous number of people, a group, uh, a group and analysts, and we tracked down all the active shooter incidents over a 14-year period. And half of those were in places of business. Only a quarter of them were in schools. And, and the number of school incidents has actually gone down percentage-wise since then. So this is a threat that is in a place of business. You should expect it in a mall, in a packing facility where you work, oh, yeah. uh, you know, in the grocery store, because that's where these shootings happen. Oh, in the in the parking lots outside. Yeah, and, and 
and I think the uh, maybe the reason, and I didn't explain this either, but I, you know, one once upon a time, I bagged groceries for part time gig, and in yeah. my high school days, and it, I think that took me back to that, you know, that time in my life. Where I was like, wow. I mean, I, I was like, I could have been the who would think? Yeah, you would think, yeah. right? Who would think? And, um, and as we talk about this, are we talking about? And I, I know you said this earlier, but is this more of a because are we seeing an active uh, higher volume of shootings? Not as much as we have in the past, but because of the pandemic, is this that you wouldn't say that this is pandemic related because people are not going to, you know, therapy or. Mm. I think what's I think that there I mean there are a number of causes right yeah. that the number of firearms deaths firearms injuries in the United States is high and it's always been pretty high um, and it hasn't it hasn't risen exponentially like these these active shooters have active shooting situations have and we did see um, a spike in h- homicides during the pandemic and I don't know that that you know, when you say, well, you know, what caused that? Of course, there's a lot of causes, but the essence of what prompts firearms violence is often, you know, anger and frustration and anxiety. And so to couple that with um, of gun availability, people being home, people being around each other, you have much more uh, likely chance of getting killed if you're in a home with a gun than if you're not in a home with a gun, which is probably a very controversial thing to say, but the research shows that. Um, so we had people at home who were frustrated and had a lot of anxiety, and that did prompt a uh, an increase in the homicides. Uh, but firearms injuries have always been, or firearms deaths, casualties have always been, you know, pretty steady. And, and for someone who, let's just say, once upon a time, uh, regardless of what I believe in, regard, like I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to say if I carry or I don't carry, just because if I'm in public, sure. you know. I don't need someone knowing if what my situation may be, but I will tell you that I, I, I grew up in a neighborhood that was had gangs. It was not a great neighborhood. And then living in a really nice established neighborhood here in, 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 in Seattle, it was like, I hear more gunshots now than I ever did in the hood. And I'd say the hood because no. I, I, I feel like I grew up and, you know, you had bloods and crips, you know, walking yeah. the streets and trying to steal backpacks. What's interesting to me is I told my dad, I was like, I can't believe I've, I'm hearing more, all these shootings in West Seattle drive-bys are just, you know, nine rounds gone off in like down the street, you know, in, it seems to be happening. I'm like, wh- where am I? I'm like, is this the alternative 1985 from, you know, from uh, Back to the Future? I make that reference because it was chaos. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. That was, that was, we, you go, yeah, when that scene hits in the movie and you're like, well, wh- our world is not like that and it's never going to be like that. And then suddenly you, you're living, you feel like you're living in it. It, it. it is a little crazy. You know, I think there's a lot of reasons why the numbers have changed, but a lot of reasons why we see the violence um, differently. Uh, I think that it's covered more. Remember, we are living in a uh, 24-hour news cycle now, and now we're living in a 24-hour endless um, internet and social media world where everything is discussed and debated and discussed and debated and discussed and debated. And quite frankly, you know, maybe we tell the truth about it. Maybe we don't. And and in the world of social media, it's, uh, Hey, uh, how come nobody's talking about that shooting on seventh Avenue? So there, so then there's more people chatting on social media about 
the shooting on Seventh Avenue that we probably never would have heard before. And I was just looking up to see on the top of my head how many active shooters have there been already for 2023. I know in Seattle is pretty high already. Well, and let me tell you, that's a good, uh, that's a, I'm glad you say that because I don't know what numbers you have, but let me tell you the numbers that you see and the way that the news covers this. I, I work with um, network news, major news sources right. a lot. And the, we've had discussions about the, what, what they're covering and what numbers they're using. The number of incidents um, has not spiked in January but if you read the news coverage, it would appear that it has because they're pulling numbers out of these relatively new databases and they're pulling raw numbers every time. And I guess maybe a great example of it would be, I was to say every time a gun is discharged and a good example of it would be if you looked at uh, some of the, some of the, um, organizations, uh, cause there are some great like, uh, Northeastern and uh, USA today, and Associated Press have a great database. Um, K through 12 is a great database, but K through 12's database is any time a gun is discharged at a school or around a school. Okay. You know, that's there's a lot of difference between a Sandy Hook and a janitor who accidentally discharges his weapon as he's climbing out of his car. Our guest tonight, Catherine Schweit. We're going to get into what the active shooter role and like the training that you've done. And I'm going to share my experience with everyone. And if you have an experience that you want to share with us, maybe you've been in some training or, you know, you watched a video from, you can be a part, you can send your text or call us. Uh, the studio lines is open at 775-990-5151. Plus we check in with Mark Christopher for our paranormal story of the week. If you're not a subscriber to our podcast, listen to the entire podcast of this interview with Catherine Schweit by going to our website, onairmario.com, and subscribe to our podcast, plus a new feature on U.S. Phenomenon. You can watch the entire show right on our website at usphenomenon.com. We'll be back. You're listening to U.S. Phenomenon. Cry out in the night as they grow restless longing. 
You're listening to U.S. Phenomenon with your host, Mario Magana.